Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably know that Athletic Brewing Company is my absolute favorite non-alcoholic beer. For me, finding an incredible non-alcoholic beer to drink around the fire pit or at a dinner was a game changer in sobriety. And I love Athletic so much that I became a brand ambassador so that I could share the love. You can save 20% with code KCD20 on your first order of Athletic at their website. Now, they are not sponsoring this ad, but I wanted to share this discount if you wanted to try it out. So my personal favorites are their Golden Upside Dawn and their Run Wild IPA, but I want to hear what your favorites are. Just go to Athletic brewing.com and enter the code KCD20 at checkout. That's C-A-S-E-Y-D-2-0 and you'll save 20% on your first order. Hi everyone. I am really excited for this episode because I invited Rachel Hart on the program to talk about taking a break from drinking. And she is someone who I've followed for many years in the sobriety space. She's a master certified coach. She's founder and CEO of Take a Break from Drinking and has helped thousands of women re-examine their relationship with alcohol so they can unlock their potential. She has a wonderful podcast that comes out every week. It's called Take a Break from Drinking. And she has a book, which is called Why Can't I Drink Like Everyone Else, that I spent the entire weekend reading again and then underlying all the different parts of it because so much of it resonated with me. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. And one of the things I love that you talk about in your work is sort of the think, feel, act cycle, which I'm hoping you'll explain to everyone. But to get started, I know that, you know, when you were questioning your drinking, some parts of sort of the common framework or traditional models didn't resonate with you. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that was most frustrating for me is that, you know, I knew sometimes that I really didn't like my drinking, but I also knew that it didn't always look the same. Like it was kind of unpredictable. And that was so frustrating for me because I wouldn't really understand like, well, why sometimes do I call it quits and go home? Right. And why sometimes do I end up at like the falafel cart at 2 AM? Just like what happened to this night? Like it, it really felt like there was no kind of like rhyme or reason to it sometimes. And, and I think that was, you know, partially where I got kind of like frustrated with the kind of traditional frameworks that were out there, it felt like, okay, it doesn't really feel like I'm powerless. Cause if I was powerless, like, am I only sometimes powerless? Like, is my brain only sometimes missing that off switch? Like I couldn't really make sense of that. I also really didn't, I didn't connect at all with the idea of it being like something that was like a character defect or a moral 
failing or something that I had to make amends for. I felt like very resistant for that. But I also, I really struggled because I think most people are taught and most of our conversation, you know, in society are these very neat and tidy categories of, you know, either you're a normal drinker and you're able to, you know, handle alcohol or you're an alcoholic. And there's something about your brain that alcohol makes you powerless. And I spent so many years feeling like, okay, well, I I feel like I don't fit in anywhere. So like, where do I belong? What is out there for me? And that like being in that place of no man's land, it really was so, it was so lonely. And it was also very demoralizing because I knew that I wanted to change. I knew that I didn't like the relationship that I had with alcohol, but I felt like everything out there was very geared towards this kind of black and white view of kind of labeling drinkers. And so, yeah, that was very, that was very difficult for me for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody or a lot of people go through that as well. I mean, I know that I, at the same time, like, you know, when I first was like, oh, shoot, I, this moderation thing is not working. I went to a therapist who specialized in sort of anxiety and addiction. I kind of picked him out for that reason, went in, tried to talk about my anxiety. And then he was like, yeah, let's talk about your drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, But he recommended I go to AA because that's what he had done. And I think a lot of people who've been sober for a long time, back in the day, that's what was the main thing available or the main thing that everybody knew about. And I did go for about four months, but I really, like you said, I didn't, I was like, I don't think I have a disease. I don't think I'm an alcoholic and I could spend years debating. Am I, aren't I like, and I just felt like it was so much energy that I expended. I also, like you said, the character defect, like you're selfish, you lie, you're, you know what I mean? Like you prioritize yourself over everyone else. And I was like, yeah, that's not who I am. You know, Mm -hmm. like it just, it felt so, so dire that I was like, okay, I don't, like you said, I don't want to be in this category. And yet I know that the way I'm drinking is, is not healthy at all. And so what do I do? I, you know, for me, I think it's like one of the things that kind of drives me nuts is that, um, you know, there's a lot of debate, you know, not just in society, there's a lot of debate in the medical community about, you know, what it actually constitutes d- disease and is addiction a disease? Is it actually a learned behavior? Like that is not a, you know, settled question. But one of the things that I could never really wrap my head around is like, okay, so if it is a disease, like if there is something wrong with my brain, like why is it the only disease where like the cure is to work at being a better person? Like why? It's not like, you know, if you have heart disease, maybe you need a stent in your heart, right? Like if you have lung, you have lung disease, like maybe you need an inhaler. If you have kidney disease, maybe you need dialysis. But if you drink too much, you need to be a better person. Like it just is so antiquated. And I think actually like, you know, when you go back and you look at um, the founding of AA and understand, like, we're talking about a program that started in, you know, 1930s depression era America. When you look at kind of how almost a hundred years ago, we understood why some people had a hard time saying no, why some people overdid things, often it was chalked up to kind of like, it's, it's an illness, but it was like a spiritual illness. Right. And so of course secure was, Hey, you have to, you know, connect with this higher power. They're the higher power is the only thing that actually is going to help you and, you know, admit like a tone for all your sins and all the things that you've done wrong. And like, then you'll get salvation. And listen, I understand when you look back at the, the history of really understanding the brain and our knowledge about how the brain works and how habits work. I understand why like 1930s, you know, people are thinking, this is a spiritual affliction that requires a spiritual solution, right? And this is something that really is connected to who you are as a person and your morality. I just think here we are in 2022, we know a lot more about the brain. We know a lot more about how habits work. We have this understanding that we you know, didn't have back then, yet we're applying the same framework as if like this is 
the solution. And my argument is always like, let's just have a lot of solutions, right? There's, if we, let's not treat it like a black and white issue. Let's have a multitude of solutions out there. And if it works for some people, great. But I think that there are a lot of people who are either they go and it's not the right fit, or they're just so turned off. Like I was so turned off by it that I, like it actually like precluded me from getting the kind of help that I could have gotten sooner because I was like, well, someone's going to, you know, say that I need to declare that I'm an alcoholic and wear a label for the rest of my life and admit that only a higher power can heal me. And right. It's so non-science based. Like it's, yeah, it's so non-science about, you know, a higher power will heal you. Like that is so not rooted in any medical science. And, you know, I completely agree. I mean, when you think about 90 years ago, what the understanding and treatments were for mental health, you know, it is night and day from the way that people think about it now. And so, oh my gosh, can we talk about perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you are going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. And this is like the one place where we haven't caught up, right? And this is the one place where it is still so common for if you, you know, will get that recommendation, whether or not you're, you know, a judge is sentencing someone with a DUI to go to a 12-step program, or you're going to your GP or you're talking to your therapist and they're saying, this is what you should do because I did it, right? It's like that one area that I just feel like is has not caught up to where we should be. Yeah. And it's so crazy because it obviously is an addictive substance and so is smoking, but no one says, if you want to stop smoking, it's an issue of a character defect that you need mm-hmm. to make amends for, right? It's yeah, it's a really interesting um, framework that has just persisted over time. And so yeah. what I like about your approach, and the reason I wanted to have you on is because I completely believe in this, is around the learning model and around habit formation. And I had William Porter on here as well, who wrote Alcohol Explained. And he also is, you know, there are a lot of voices saying, hey, let's look at this learning model of how we use alcohol. So can you tell me about that? Yeah. I mean, I think the the kind of idea is that when you look at the behaviors that you have around drinking, that sometimes it can feel like it just happened, or that was always my relationship with alcohol. Like, I remember kind of thinking like, I don't know, I think I might just be someone who like, always overdoes it. Like I overdo it with food and I overdo it, like overdid it at my first college party. And like, maybe that's just who I am. But when you start to really unpack and understand what is driving your behaviors and understand it from that perspective as something, your brain is learning something every time you're reaching for a drink. Like that's what was so powerful for me to start to have that framework to think about, okay, so what is my brain learning? And the fact of the matter is all of a sudden it gave me such a new perspective on the habits that I developed around drinking instead of saying, oh, I don't know. I think like it runs in my family. Like my grandfather was an alcoholic and I just might, I think like I have an addictive personality and I'm just an all or nothing person. This is something I 
you know, identified with a lot. Like I really made it part of my personality. I think this is just who I am. I started to ask myself, well, what am I learning? And what did I learn when I started drinking when I was 17? And, you know, very quickly I could see, oh, yeah, there was this connection to having a lot of social anxiety in social situations and feeling like, I have no idea how to deal with this social anxiety, but if I fill up this like red solo cup with some like, you know, terrible kind of Hawaiian punch and grain alcohol or whatever they were serving at, you know, frat parties, like, oh, my anxiety seems to abate a little bit and recognizing that like I, in my life was so regimented in many ways and very much a rule follower and very much wanted to do everything by the book. And this was one of the times for me that I actually got to kind of throw caution to the wind and allow myself to just, you know, do whatever and not worry what people thought and not worry about having to be perfect. Like I could start to see that, yeah, my brain had learned a lot of things and it learned a lot about socializing. It learned a lot when it came to anxiety. It learned a lot about relationships. It learned a lot about giving myself just permission to like be myself and be kind of loud and laugh really loud and be kind of silly and crazy. And, you know, and I didn't know how to give those skills to myself outside of alcohol. And, and I'll just say this for everyone listening, because you know, when I talk about my experience, sometimes people will be like, oh, well, that's not, that's not true for me at all. You know, it's not um, like I, it's not like a social thing or I don't have anxiety. It's not that humans only learn one thing when it comes to drinking. We learn many, many, many things. And so really just asking, like posing the question to yourself, like, what am I learning? What am I teaching my brain when I reach for this drink, because I mean, I work with so many people who say, oh, I totally identify with your story. And then other people who say like, nope, that's not me at all. Like my issue is when I'm home by myself, you know, it's not out um, when I'm with other people. It's when I have a lot of space and time and I'm feeling kind of bored or I'm feeling, you know, kind of lonely, or I just need to be able to, you know, have that off switch and like put down work and not have to do that. So it's, It's not that we all learn the same thing. It's just to recognize that the brain is always learning Mm -hmm. and alcohol kind of speeds up that learning process because it is a concentrated reward. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were talking, I was one of those people who absolutely identified with your story because I was like a really big rural follower as well. I went to a boarding school where like you would literally get kicked out, you know, expelled if you were caught drinking um, were suspended. And so I just did not drink in high school um, until like sort of senior year. And then I went to college and it was all keg parties and I joined the rugby team and I was just like, this allows me to have adventures, like to mm-hmm. take off the responsibility to shut off my brain. And like, same thing you were saying, like anything can happen, which yeah. I would never allow myself to do. Yeah, you know, I kind of like liked the idea that I would make bad decisions as sad as that is, because I was like, woohoo, who knows what'll happen. So that for me resonated, but I, I completely agree that, you know, everyone often has a reason that alcohol appeals to them and it is very different, you know, yeah. everyone in terms of what they're doing. Um, in reading your work and listening to you, one of the things that I thought was really insightful was the idea of two problems at play, because you talk about the underlying problems and then aftermath problems. And a lot of us sort of glorified the days when we were 22 and 25, and it was fun. And only think about what you call the aftermath problems, which are the negative results of drinking, Mm -hmm. the hangovers, not remembering stuff, doing things you regret. But will you tell me a little bit about what you mean by the underlying problems? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is an important piece that I missed for a very long time is that I would, you know, I'd wake up and I'd have one of those kind of, you know, first thing in the morning, you open your eyes and you just feel like, oh God, like, what did I do last night? Right. Or like, do I even remember? And why was I so stupid? And why can't I learn my lesson? And who's going to help me piece together the night? 
And so I was very fixated on those kind of like immediate problems, right. That were often kind of, they were just the most painful, right. They were at the kind of like forefront. Um, and so it was like the hangovers and I was like regretting what I did or what I said or who I brought home with me or right. Like that was felt very pressing, but then to, I mean, I think again, this comes back to this learning piece of like, okay, but like, why, like, why do I have this desire? Like, why does it feel like if I were to say no, like, would it really even be worth going out? Like what is going on there? And that to me is more of these kind of like underlying problems. Um, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of times people kind of like shy away from the word problem because it's like, oh God, I don't want to have like a problem with alcohol. But what I really mean is again, like what is that thing that it's helping you solve? Like what is that thing? And so it might be anxiety. It might be boredom. It might be not knowing. I mean, I remember feeling like being like single in New York city and like, you really want me to like meet someone and not have alcohol involved? Like how on earth would that happen? Right? Like that's crazy. So it's really thinking about like understanding kind of like that, that layer below, which I think a lot of times we don't spend any time there um, because we're so focused on like, Oh God, like I feel awful. And last night was awful. And why can't I learn my lesson? And, you know, we're not focused on these kind of like underlying issues that are going on that actually really are fueling the habit. Yeah. And when you talked about it, you said it's sort of the underlying problems. One way to identify them are the ones that were present before you take a drink and mm -hmm. are less bothersome once you have alcohol in your system. And I kind of sat and was reflecting on, you know, sort of in most of my drinking before I stopped. So it was sort of like 37, 38, 39 what were those? What were the things that were present before I took a drink and were less bothersome once I had alcohol in my system? And, you know, immediately kind of thought of, okay, shutting off work, you know, mm -hmm. the emails kept coming. I was really worried about whether we would hit our sales numbers daily tracking it. And so it would sort of take the edge off. Oh my God, what if we only hit 80% plan? Um, my husband's mood he would at times get in really negative moods and I just did not want to deal with the negativity um, and had tried to talk him out of long it long enough that I knew it was sort of just going to spiral into an hour discussion that I didn't want to engage in so I could kind of tune it out. And then I had a two-year-old and that is hard. Like it's, they scream at you. I mean, they're two year olds are no joke. <laughs> oh my God. Do you have kids? <laughs> yes, I do. I am. I am. I have a little boy that is three and a half and oh I'm pregnant God. now. And so well, you are. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I stopped when I had a two year old and eight year old and you know, my God, love her. She was a trigger, right? Just, yeah. just, and so, you know, that was kind of like, the problems that were present before I took a drink that were less bothersome once I had yeah. alcohol in my system. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When I decided to stop drinking, therapy was a big part of my sober toolbox. It wasn't just about saying no to opening a bottle of wine. Once I stopped drinking, I had to deal with everything in my life that alcohol helped me push down. And with my therapist, I was able to better understand how my relationships with my husband and kids, my bosses and friends needed to shift to support my sobriety. If you're thinking of starting therapy as part of your journey, BetterHelp is the way to go. It's all online. It's convenient and flexible. It's tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. Therapy can help you become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday and score 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H E L P dot com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. Yeah. And I, and again, like it, 
it really can vary for everyone. So I think the question is just like, how can everyone listening just be curious about like what that is for you, right? So I, I'll work with people who will say like, listen, I, I have a full-time job and I'm in charge of, you know, my elderly parent. I'm like completely, you know, responsible for all of their finances now and all of their healthcare. And like, there's no me time, right? Like that's the problem. The problem is like, pouring that glass of wine becomes a kind of stand in for like, okay, at least like, this is, this is my kind of boundary of like, here's me time for me. Sometimes it has to do with work. Sometimes it has to do with kids. Sometimes it has to do with your body. Like it really can be anything. Like I'm always so fascinated, especially with, um, with alcohol, because it also, it doesn't just have like a, a standard, um, effect on everyone. And so I will work with people who will say, you know what? Like, it's my way to relax. It's my way to just be like a signal, like the day is done. I'm off the clock. I don't have to do my to-do list anymore. And then I will work with people who will say like, no, no, this is how I push through my to-do list. Mm -hmm. Like I get home, I got to make dinner for the kids. I got to do all these things that I don't want to do. And that glass of wine is the thing that helps me push through. And so I think the one thing that I hope people will listening will kind of take away is that yes, we're sharing our personal experiences, but it always can look very different. And I just want people to be curious about mm -hmm. what are, what, what is my brain learning? What do I, what, how do I think it's helping me? What do I think the kind of underlying issue or problem might be there before I reach for the drink that feels a little less, like I've taken a little bit of the edge off of that and just be curious about what that answer could be for you. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I read in your book that I thought was kind of unique was you tell people to ask themselves, how does drinking help me? And I thought that was a really good question because I find that when, you know, I kind of describe them as sort of the highlights and the lowlights of drinking. Mm -hmm. I think it is it causes resistance and pushback to imply that it was all awful, right? Which is kind yeah. of what AA does sometimes, right? It was, you know, the a nightmare, everything bad happened. And then you're you sort of in the in the background of your mind. And I hear from a lot of women I talk to, well, it wasn't all bad. Like, yeah, what about when I went to Italy? What about Napa? What about this? What about that? And so I like that you ask, like, the idea of like, how does it help me? And then dissect that. Cause the, you know, for me, the lowlights were the vast majority of my time. The highlights were, you know, once a month or once a week or, you know, whatever it was for a little bit of time, I had a lovely time. The rest, I was on my couch and sort of passing out, you know, yeah, up with a hangover. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's funny because when, when I pose that question to people, a lot of times they think that it's a trick question that the mm -hmm. right answer is supposed to be like, Oh, okay. It's not helping me. No, and it's like, no, no, it is like, if there wasn't an upside, you, you wouldn't have this desire. So like, let's understand what that upside is because so often when, you know, when I'm working with people and talking with them about like, let's talk about really changing this habit at the deepest level, right? Like I'm not talking about just learning how to be disciplined and learning how to keep your commitment. Like if we really want to change this behavior and this habit at the deepest level, then we do have to understand how it's helping you. Because I think what, where I, this happened for me and what I see happen for a lot of people is you know, you decide that you want to do something different. And maybe you say, I'm going to take a break, or I'm just going to cut it out completely, whatever it is. And you start to feel a lot of benefits. There are a lot of health benefits, right? I mean, I was like, oh, this is, you can like wake up in the morning and not feel like ass and right. <laughs> and you like, remember what you did the night before. And all of a sudden my skin was, you know, getting clearer and I wasn't doing anything. And I looked more well-rested and I was dropping pounds. Cause you know, you weren't, not only was I not having the empty calories, I wasn't ending up at the falafel cart at two in the morning, right? Like, so th there were all these health benefits. But I think that the problem so often is people kind of introduce the idea of like, yeah, it's amazing not drinking. And they're just like totally focused on the health benefits. Those whole health benefits are going to take you so far, right? And then you're going to get to a point of feeling like you're suffering for your health. And that's not sustainable, right? Like if alcohol was helping you because it allowed you to shut off the clock, right? Or say like, I'm off the clock now, then okay, then health benefits are not going to be able to alone 
help you change, you're going to have to learn how to set some boundaries. And that's going to be uncomfortable. If it was helping you with intimacy, if it was helping you feel more secure in your body, you're not going to fix this with health benefits alone, right? You're going to have to learn, okay, so what is it? Like, why do I have these hangups? Why do I have these judge this judgment? How do I actually feel more comfortable in my skin? Like to me, it's, it's not a trick question to be like, oh, alcohol doesn't help you. It actually is the key to understanding how to change the habit long-term because we can't just rely on feeling better because at some point that will become your new normal, right? At some point, your new normal will be, I'm not taxing my body every night. I'm not, you know, waking up at two in the morning. <laughs> I'm not feeling groggy. I don't have all these extra calories, but then that's your new normal, right? So then what? And so like that question that I think is a question that people are afraid to ask because there's this like, well, if we acknowledge that there's an upside, if we acknowledge that there's a benefit, then it's like, we're going to, um, you know, kind of like, sow the seeds, I guess, for people having desire, people not wanting to change. But I think, no, we're just, we're just carving out the path for this is how you change the habit long-term. Yeah. You're just like, what, you know, what did, how did drinking help you? It is a clue to mm. the underlying issue. Like it gives yeah. you a place to start, to start digging. And, you know, you talk about the idea of problem solving versus problem stalling. And I mm. love that, that alcohol was a problem staller, meaning your attention was momentarily diverted, but it didn't do anything about the underlying problem. So I feel like that question helped you get to, you know, the clue to what is the underlying problem. And the yeah, hard I mean, about that is it takes longer, right? It's yeah. harder to solve it. It's harder, but it's that to me is like when you get to like the long-term lasting change, right? Yeah. Like, so I would always be like, yeah, but if I go to a party and I don't know people there, right? And I don't have a drink. I'm going to feel terrible. Like this feels so uncomfortable and I feel so awkward and I just want to leave. And it's helping me, right? It's helping me with the awkwardness. It's helping me feel like I have nothing to add to the conversation. But the thing was, it was just stalling. Like it was problem stalling all those issues, right? Because I just still felt like I needed it the next time. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I had a couple glasses of wine and that solved my problem moving forward. I just started to teach my brain that I needed it more and more that like, this was the solution yeah. as opposed to like, what is happening? Like, what is telling you that something is like awkward about you and not about other people or that what you have to say in the conversation does not matter as much or isn't as smart. Like, it's just like, that was the real underlying work to do that was yeah. actually problem solving yeah. that you know no amount of alcohol could ever actually fix or even that the people you were with were not your people or you didn't like those kinds yeah. of events or you know whatever it is i mean yeah you mentioned intimacy and i think that that's a really good example of you know problem stalling meaning like okay you drink so in order to access intimacy or to make it easier right but you know, basically every time you do it, you just end up with a hangover and, you know, you're pushing off. What you really want is true intimacy and being comfortable and developing that for the rest of your life. But if you keep stalling it, you're never going to get there. Yeah. I mean, what I truly wanted was to be able to like feel sexy and appealing and be able to ask for what I wanted from my partner and not feel like I needed a buzz to have any of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think, you know, for me, when I just look at like my own kind of, you know, <laughs> my romantic relationships and my relationship with alcohol kind of like very closely correspond. And so it really was like very eye-opening for me and very challenging for me in my thirties when I was like, Oh, okay. So I see that I'm not getting great results from the drinking, but I like still want to have romantic relationships. Like how does this all work? Like, how do I learn how to be confident in my body and how, because it did allow me like, you know, having a buzz did allow me to be confident in a way that I aspired to be. It did allow me to be, you know, more assertive and ask for what I wanted and tell someone what felt good and what didn't feel as good that when I didn't have alcohol in my system, I was much less able to do. Right. And so to me, it's like, yeah, that was a benefit. And 
I want that benefit. So mm-hmm. like, how do I get it without feeling like I have to, you know, have a bottle of wine in my system? Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you go about doing that? Well, so, I mean, this is one of the things um, that I really kind of like changed my whole understanding of my drinking, but also really changed my understanding of really everything I do was the think, feel, act cycle. So this is not something that I came up with. It's something that has been around a very long time to explain why we do the things we do. And and the premise is simply saying, listen, your actions don't just spontaneously happen, right? It's not like a reflex. It's not like when you go to the doctor and they hit, use that little rubber hammer on your knee. It's not a reflex. There's a thought and a feeling there, but they're often so unconscious that that's why it will feel like, I, I don't know why I drank the whole bottle. Like, I don't know why I yelled at my kids. Like, I don't know why I didn't go to the gym this morning. Like, that piece of the puzzle will be very unconscious. And so it will feel like, I don't know, my actions just happen. And we start to ascribe our actions to like who we are as a person. Like, this is just who I've always been. Um, And so understanding that cycle, and it first helped me really understand my drinking. It helped me really understand when I was just like, yeah, I wasn't even planning to drink. And then like, I don't know, like I just polished off a bottle, right? Or I was only going to have a glass. I was going to be good tonight. And then that went out the window. So it helped me understand my patterns around drinking, but then it really was the, um, it was the framework to really understand all of my patterns. So if you think about like intimacy, if, if I wasn't being assertive or I wasn't asking for what I wanted, or I wasn't saying like, oh, that actually doesn't feel that great. Could you do it like this? <laughs> like that, that action or lack thereof was connected to what was happening in my mind was connected to how I was feeling in the moment. So it was like, think, feel, act for me. It was like, it gave me this like roadmap that I had no idea was, was there before. And it was the roadmap for everything. It wasn't just, Hey, this is why you said you'd have one. And then you went overboard, or this is why you said you'd have nothing. Right. And then you ended up giving into your urges. It was like the roadmap for everything in my life. Like it was a roadmap for like why I had a really hard time, you know, not responding to emails from my boss at nine o'clock at night. It was the roadmap you know, for why I would, you know, start every month being like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and like this month is going to be different. Right. And it would last for a couple of days and then it would fall apart because it was all of a sudden showing me the, you know, the patterns of thoughts and feelings that were connected to everything I was doing or not doing in life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I always talk with the people that I work with, you know, I say, you know, you're learning a skill that is going to change your relationship with alcohol. It's going to change, you know, your relationship with drinking, whatever you want that to look like, but it's Mm -hmm. a skill that's going to change everything. Like this is a meta skill that once you learn it, you can apply it to everything. And that to me, I'm now just like, I just happened to learn it through the habit of drinking, but it really is a skill that I use day in, day out. Yeah. And so one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the think, feel, act cycle was you talk about, you know, most of us, which um, when we're trying to stop drinking, try to interrupt the feel or the desire to the act, Mm -hmm. meaning tonight I am not going to drink. Right. Yeah. Even though you want to, even though you wish you had, could be able to, even though you're like, uh, I'm not going to buy a bottle of wine. I'm not going to drink tonight. Right, it's like tonight I'm going to be good. <laughs> oh my God. Or like, I'm not going to drink till Friday, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And then you're like irritated the whole fucking time and like snapping mm-hmm. at everyone and just pissed off. You're not drinking. Maybe that was me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're trying to interrupt the feel to act, right? That mm-hmm. part of it. And you talk about doing the work, which is a little harder, although actually interrupting feel to act for me felt impossible for years, mm. interrupting the think to feel right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thought process that leads to the, the desire doing it one earlier. And how would you do that? Well, so first you have to understand like what your specific think, feel, act cycle looks like, because again, it's going to look different for everyone. And so I will tell you this, that when people start doing this work with me, I will, I'll always warn them, like, it's going to feel a little bit like you're learning a foreign language. Right. And you like, 
it all makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. And you're not totally sure how to string it to all together. So just let it be like, let that learning process be a little wobbly and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But then it really is like, so a big thing that I start out with people is really working on their urges, right? Like, and, and I think a lot of times what happens is people say like, okay, I've made a commitment. Like I woke up and I decided like today's going to be different or I'm going to be good or I'm going to be good all week. And then like, you know, I can have a little fun on the weekends. Like we wake up and we have this commitment and then we're so confused as to why it falls apart, whether it falls apart that day, whether it falls apart two days later, whatever. And so where I want people to really start to examine is like, okay, so what happened when you had that urge, when you noticed that desire or that craving, like what was happening in your mind? What were you thinking about it? And a lot of times people at first will be like, I don't even know. I don't even think there was an urge. It just happened. Like we're so disconnected, but everything that I'm asking people to do is just kind of like slow down the process. Right. And then you start to, as you're doing this and you're thinking about, all right, what was my thought about the glass of wine? Or what was my thought about the craving that I was feeling? You start to identify these patterns. And for me, it looked a lot like I deserve it. I've been so good. I had a shitty day, right? Like I had a lot of kind of like reasons and justifications. And I also had a lot of thoughts about the cravings themselves. Like, it's like, I hate saying no. I say no to myself in so many areas of my life. Do I have to say no here? It feels awful to want something and to not, you know, go get it. That was like a thing that I, you know, and that wasn't just with alcohol. That was with like lots of things. It like felt awful to want a chocolate bar and then tell myself that I couldn't have the chocolate bar. Right. Or like want the basket of bread, but like, we're not supposed to eat the bread. Right. We're going to stay away from the bread. So like I, you, I started to like, see that it wasn't how I was feeling as much as what I was thinking, right. As much as like the story in my mind that was so unconscious and yet so habitual and playing out, whether it was about what my day was like or how I deserved it or how everyone else was, or how it felt terrible to say no to something that I wanted or that urges were like unbearable. And so like, that's the piece. And, and honestly, I think sometimes the first step is just getting past that knee jerk reaction in your brain to be like, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was feeling. Like that's where I find most people kind of start. They're like, yeah, this all makes sense, but I don't know. And one of the things I always tell people is, you know, that thought, I don't know, mm-hmm. it's actually fueling your drinking, right? Because every time you believe it, every time you feel confused by how this might be unfolding for you, guess what? You're not going to change your behavior. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, sometimes it is putting like a different label on your thoughts to just be like, oh, it's not that you know, or that you don't know. It's just when you tell yourself, you don't know that actually is fuel for the habit. And so just being able to kind of, um, work your way backwards and understand, you know, the drink just sits there, right? Like it's not whispering your name. So if you understand that it just sits there, then like, how were you feeling? Right. How, what were you thinking about in that moment? Like developing that skill of being able to look backwards is so powerful because then it helps you in the moment when you're starting to be like, oh, right, here's my brain again telling me like, oh, I'll just have one or I don't want to waste it, right? Like that's a, that's like a big thing. Like, oh, I don't, like there's just a little bit left in the bottle. Like we shouldn't waste it. That would be silly. It was expensive. But like, that's what people you know, what I noticed and what other people that I work with will notice is like, they just, all of a sudden it's like, they can hear the thoughts unfolding. They can start to really like identify those patterns. And then it's so much easier to start to intervene with them. And are you shifting those thoughts? Because I know people are like, well, I have people coming to town. We're going to two nights restaurants. It'll be easier to stop if I wait until I'm back home from vacation or oh, I'm lonely. My husband isn't, you know, he's being unfeeling towards me. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be around him tonight. So I need something extra to take the edge off. Right. Like all of the, sometimes it doesn't just happen. You're like literally justifying and rationalizing and, and being like, okay, I, you know, these are all the reasons that I want to drink. And therefore 
all my commitment to not doing it. Let me just forget about that. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things. One is that, yes, it is the practice of learning how to not just when, once you spot your, those kind of like unconscious thoughts that are fueling the habit. Um, yeah. You want to start to shift them, but not in the way that most people think, mm-hmm. right? Like most people think like, oh, I have to shift them. So I have to be like super positive or I have to be like, yeah, you can do this. And what I find is that when you do that, it doesn't feel very believable, right? And so you feel like you're kind of BSing yourself. And so a lot of times where I have people start, um, sometimes it's it's as simple as like, oh, every time I tell myself, right, that this is going to help make things easier, I'm fueling the habit, right? Or I'm teaching my brain that I need a drink. Yeah. So it's not to go to the place of like, no, it ultimately doesn't make things easier, which the, you know, you're probably not ready to be there or believe that yet, but to think, but like, what is a believable thought that I could practice instead? And, uh, you know, like a big thing that, that I work on with people when it comes to urges and their cravings is to start to be like, listen, this, it truly is harmless, Right. It doesn't feel harmless in the moment. It feels like a, like a false alarm, right? Or I talk about that a lot. Like it, it, it's a false alarm. Your lower brain really wants you to believe that this drink is important for survival, right? But it is a false alarm. <laughs> you can, so it's like starting to like shift your story, but shift your story in believable ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think like. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. I think those pieces are, you know, when, when a lot of people are introduced to this idea of thought work, it seems like it's going to be a lot of like mantras and affirmations and like positive talk that just like feels so fake and unbelievable. And, and that's what I'm trying to show people is like, sometimes you just need to like shift it in the smallest way. And that can make such a huge transformation. And then how you show up whether it is, you know, with friends are out of town or when you're walking down the aisle, you know, like the wine aisle at the grocery store, or, you know, you come home and you're like frustrated by your spouse. Like sometimes like really small shifts can make a huge difference. And then what the end result is, of course, the end result is the decisions you're making around drinking. Yeah. And I think I liked where you said about sort of retraining your brain or, or Mm -hmm. creating a new habit. I love atomic habits and how they talk about the cue craving response reward cycle and how you have to create a different reward. And, you know, I mean, that's something that a lot of us never do is we're so used to the initial reward 
or we take that reward away and we just try to do it all without a reward. Do without, yeah. 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 As opposed to being like, okay, I'm making this smaller shift to replace, you know, keep the ritual, you know, change the ingredients or, you know, instead of grabbing a bottle of wine, go take a bath or whatever it is, you know, have some chocolate, anything, you know, you're changing the reward and then that will over time help you create a new habit. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to the question that I have people ask, which is, you know, how is this helping me? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what are the benefits? Because I always think it is very much neglected, this kind of sense of if this was a way that you were, you reliably got pleasure. Right. And it may, may have been reliably been pleasurable at first, but then of course you didn't like the pleasure in the, you know, the long run, but if it was the way that you reliably got pleasure, like, what are we doing to create more pleasure in your life? Like, like, I don't think that we're all just supposed to be like, well, I'm super healthy. So, you know, um, just good with that. It's like, no, I think humans were like meant to have pleasure. Pleasure is something that the brain truly desires. It's something that we should all have. So if you're taking out the way that you taught your brain, this is how I feel good. This is how I create pleasure. This is how I have fun. Well, what are we doing on the flip side? Right. And like, And it's so fascinating when I work with people, they'll often have a lot of resistance to this pleasure piece. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't know, do I really deserve this much pleasure? And do I have time for pleasure? And it's like, well, I don't know. You, you seem to like want it, right? You seem to be like, that's the thing in many ways that will be driving the habit. Like, I just want to feel good. I just want to enjoy myself. I just want to relax. So it seems like you want it. So maybe we should just figure out how to create it. But we're so you know, culturally used to consuming pleasure and not just with alcohol. We're used to consuming pleasure when it comes to food. We're used to consuming pleasure, pleasure when it comes to buying things. You know, I, I talk a lot about the difference between like consuming fun and creating fun. Mm. And most of us as kids have this experience of, we were very good at creating fun for ourselves. We were very good at kind of using our brain and putting our brain to work to figure out like, okay, I got like two sticks and a rock. Like, how am I going to have fun? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then as we grow up, it becomes much more like fun is about consumption. Fun is what I put in my body. Fun is what I buy. Fun is what I eat. Fun is what I, you know, um, I watch. Fun is the screen in front of me. Like, so we have this expectation that things are supposed to entertain us and we forget that we're, we're actually entertaining. Right. And like, that's a skill we've had. And I just think that like that piece is so often neglected and like, I, I want people to have a, like a pleasure practice. Like, how am I really creating this for myself? And how am I saying that? Like, yeah, I deserve it. That's an important part of my life and I want to have more of it and that's okay. And I, it's okay to carve out time for it. Like that's what happens sometimes when you take away the alcohol, you start to see the thought patterns around like, I don't actually have time to like do nice things for myself, but I can pour myself a glass of wine. Right. Yeah, so and I can like drag myself through the day at like 40% power. Maybe if you were at a hundred percent, you would have time, you know, yeah, carve stuff. exactly. I bet a lot of people are listening to this. And when you're talking about pleasure, their minds might be blank. They're like, <laughs> you know, what, what? Can, you, can you give us a bunch of examples or some of like, yeah, that type of stuff? Well, so I just even think like most people take showers every morning. Like how pleasurable is the shower for you? Like how much do you enjoy it? Yeah. Or if you were like how I used to be like, I would wake up in the morning. I'd already feel behind. I'd already feel like, oh my God, there's so much to do. And my shower time was me just like worried. It was like anticipating all the problems that were going to hit my plate at work or all the things that I had to do or everything, you know, that was on my to-do list. That's not a super pleasurable shower, right? Yeah. But like, imagine what that's like to actually just be in the shower and your brain is not catastrophizing about the day. It's not thinking about everything that gets, you know, you need to get done, but you're actually like enjoying the sensation, 
Right. And, and again, listen, people, this is free, right? Like this is not like, oh, I got to spend a lot of money and like, go get a massage. This is literally like, are you able to do that? And if you're not, then that's why we're looking at think, feel, act. If you're not, then that's where we want to understand, okay, what are the kind of habits that you have around thinking? People talk about this all the time with, you know, cooking dinner and drinking wine. And it's like, that's just the way that I relax myself. I like, you know, cook dinner and I pour myself a glass of wine. And it's like, so what is your experience like when you cook dinner without the wine? Like, where is it pleasurable? And people kind of look at me at first with this like blank, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like the pleasure is the wine. The pleasure is I opened up the bottle of Chardonnay, but it really is like, if you really were then present in the cooking, if you really were present with like the smells and the sensations and the touch, there's actually a lot of pleasure available to you there. But so often what happens is people discover that the wine that they were pouring was not so much because they just loved the wine. It was because if they weren't pouring it, they couldn't actually be present cooking dinner. They, their brain was off thinking about everything that went wrong during the day or everything they should have done differently or everything they have to do tomorrow. And mm -hmm. so when I'm talking about pleasure, so often what I'm talking about is just being able to like, can you be present in the moment? Not what happened five minutes ago, not what happened earlier in the day, not also what's happening tomorrow. Can you be present right now? And like, just find the pleasure of like being in your body or find the pleasure of like the sights and sounds and smells around you. And it, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I just want people to know that <laughs> there's a version of me that would have heard someone say this and be like, okay, like whatever, I, you know, sure. Great. It's great chopping celery, but <laughs> it's because I, um, I hadn't understood how much my brain needed to be recalibrated when it came to rewards. Like I was so used to like really intense rewards from alcohol or really intense rewards from smoking or really intense rewards from like super sugary food. Right. And, and it's like, once I started to like recalibrate my brain, it was like, oh, there are actually a lot of pleasures available to me. It's just in comparison they seemed like they just didn't even register. Mm -hmm. And so like that to me, it's like, I don't know, you like watch a kid go through the world and there's a lot of pleasure to be had that adults are often just like, whatever, like we got to make the bus. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like stop looking at the moon people. Like we got a bus to catch here. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I don't actually love cooking. It's not my jam, but, um, but of course I cook a lot because I have two kids. Mm -hmm. So music is the thing, like putting on music that I somehow know all the words to, but didn't like pick out myself, you know, whether yeah. it's like, Hey, play me music from the nineties or something. Like, I'm just like, that's awesome. Yeah. And like, I, I really do think it's one of those things that it's, we're so conditioned to be like, well, either I need like the fast instantaneous, like pleasure that I consume or pleasure is this really like time consuming, expensive, yeah. like, you know, where am I going to actually fit it into my schedule type of thing? So of course it's like, well, if those are my choices and I want a pleasurable life, I guess I'm going to choose the wine, right. Or I guess I'm going to choose the Ben and Jerry's. And I think it's really helping teach your brain. Oh, that, that actually doesn't have to be a choice between like quick, easy, fast, concentrated, and then subsequently hard to say no to versus like expensive, time-consuming, you know, large commitments. It really is like, it can be available to you all the time. Yeah. Very cool. And so if someone's listening to this and just trying to figure out how to get started or how to start again, right? If they took a break and then mm -hmm. went back to drinking or whatever, what's your best advice for like a first step? So I think, um, I really do love starting with like, what are the benefits? Okay. Right? So I, um, I actually, um, do it as kind of like a cost benefit exercise because we're so used to focusing on like, Oh, I know it's not good for me. And I know it's causing problems. And like, I know it's not good for my heart or we're so used to trying to want to convince ourselves that something is bad so that we'll change. And I think we don't have a lot of practice looking at how something is beneficial. 
And again, it's not a trick question, but to like really start there because it also takes you away from this, um, this kind of mindset of like, oh, it's all about quantity. Like, did I drink or did I not drink? Or did I drink the right amount or did I drink too much? Like, I want people to see like, let's just take quantity out of the picture. Let's take, let's move your brain away from consumption and just start from this place. So I even think like getting that down on paper and really seeing like, how is it helping me? It then, you know, it, I think it should just start laying the foundation to have like a different kind of internal narrative about mm-hmm. like, so why am I reaching for this glass? Like, why is this so appealing? If it truly just sits there and I don't believe I'm powerless and I don't believe I have a disease, then can I just be curious about what's going on without all this kind of like judgment of like, oh, you should know better. Yeah. Yeah. And I know in your book, you have a whole bunch of questions uh, to go through it. And one of them you know, I'm looking at it now is like list any specific emotions it helps with. Mm -hmm. So anxiety, stress, boredom, loneliness. And that's something on this podcast I've talked about a lot when you're like, okay, I really want to drink is identify what emotion it is. Like what, why do you want to drink? What are you feeling that's making you want to drink? And if it's like, I'm bored, then it's like, all right, I'm bored if I don't drink, how else can I solve for that? Like what other options are on the table? Or like, why is it a problem? Like when did boredom become a problem? The other thing I'll add, just because this comes up a lot is people will say, yeah, but I'm not drinking because of like negative emotions. It's positive. Like I want to feel cozy. I want to feel connection. I'm feeling celebratory. And so then I think it's, you know, drinking can often kind of mask, you know, the negative emotions that we feel. But when you start to understand, okay, so why do you believe that this is going to augment the positive emotion? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it about this moment right now that doesn't feel celebratory or pleasurable or cozy enough? Like, Like, to me, that's like such a fascinating place to take your brain and understand like, oh, so if I'm augmenting something, it means because I think it's lacking. So like, what is lacking? And I, and sometimes that's a really powerful place for people to start because they'll say, no, 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 things are good. Like I'm happy. I have a good life and I'm not disputing that. It's just the idea of, okay, so why do you want to augment it? What do you think is the added value? And like, so often what people will discover is they've so trained their brain to expect a concentrated reward with these positive emotions that they don't even realize that they're not even ever fully enjoying the positive emotion when it comes on its own. Like I I remember working with someone and she was saying that she had finished this like huge sales presentation and it had gone really, really well. And as soon as it was done, she was in the, in the process of, um, you know, trying out, taking a break. As soon as it was done, she was like, oh, I, I really want to like, I wanted to like go out and like go to the wine bar and celebrate. And she realized she was like, oh, I wasn't even in the moment of feeling proud. Like yeah. my brain couldn't even settle there because I was like, it was so anticipating, oh, we're going to get a reward. Like we feel good. We're going to celebrate. We're going to get a reward. And she realized she never actually like let herself like savor feeling proud of herself. She was like skipping right over the positive emotion to get to the concentrated reward. And that for her was like such a, a mind blowing experience to be like, Oh, I could just really be in, like she was driving in the car and she was like, I could just really revel in like feeling so proud of myself right now, instead of like just anticipating, like when's the drinking coming? Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I love that question as well. And I've asked it, you know, to some of my clients, cause I had one who we live in Seattle, the San Juan islands are, are up North of us and they are absolutely gorgeous islands, just beautiful. And she's up there, she's with her partner. She, you know, had stopped drinking a little while before in the sunshine in these Adirondack chairs overlooking the water, you know, and she's like, I just really want to drink. And I asked her, I said, why isn't it enough? Like, why isn't it enough to be with the person you love in this gorgeous place on this sunny afternoon, you know, with a different beverage in your hand? And it was like, okay. So I actually like asked myself that often to be like, yeah, is this enough? You know, like this is good. So, yeah, you know. 
And the answer is always going to be found where your brain is hanging out, right? Yeah. When because it's when people are saying like, yeah, but it could be better. It's like, okay, so what is actually preventing it from being better? It's not the drink. It's what's happening in your mind, right? Yeah. It's that think feel act cycle unfolding. And I really do think like it's not about making a moral judgment of like you know, oh, is it wrong to augment emotions or, you know, is it wrong to want to just like have as much pleasure, even if those pleasures are false pleasures? It's not about that. It's just really, I think, asking yourself, like, what do I actually think is lacking from this moment? And why is it lacking? Mm -hmm. Right. And then just, we're so used to thinking like, oh, it's because I don't have the drink yet. Like the waiter hasn't come with my order. (laughs) Right. I'm like waiting for the drink. Instead of looking and seeing like so often for me, the block was not the alcohol. The block was like where my brain loved to hang out and my brain loved to hang out in some like shitty places of like everything I did wrong, you know, two minutes earlier or two years earlier, everything that I had on my plate and had to get done, you know, in the next five minutes or the next five years, like I wasn't very good at just like being in the present moment and allowing myself to be there and enjoy it. I was off hanging out, you know, in the negative past and the negative future. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, can you tell us where they can reach you and follow up? Yeah, definitely. So I do have um, uh, a podcast that comes out every Tuesday called Take a Break from Drinking. Um, and if people want to work with me, I have um, the Take a Break membership, where it's something they can check out. So if you go to rachelhart.com, that's H-A-R-T.com, um, you can find out the information there. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.